and welcome to this podcast. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, everybody. Now, this month, we've got some interesting questions that have come through. We have questions about a team that are falling apart. We have a question about a practice that wants to implement a treatment coordinator and who should they put into that role. And another really good question we've had is about marketing and what the business should be investing in marketing. So we will answer those questions. I think before we do that, um, you know, these, these HR questions, really, this first one that's come through about the team seem to be falling apart, people are being late, lots of people are whinging. And this person's really asking, how do they bring their team back on board in, in, on board in line with their vision? And I think this is such a common thing that is happening in practices, more and more so. I also think you know, we know everything goes in waves, but I think that this time of year is a really difficult time of year in practices. People are losing their mojo a little bit. You know, hey, we've survived January. Um, even though the nights are starting to, you know, draw out a little bit, people are still a bit down, perhaps. And I think it's a tough time of year in the NHS because we've got, you know, all the targets that have got to be achieved and for some practices they're under a lot of pressure to do that so the practice environment um, can be a bit of a you know negative one or not even negative just a little bit sort of demotivating day to day and that's where you end up with with these situations with lateness with with people that are whinging and I think the worst thing to come out of whinging is that once one starts that's it isn't it I mean personally I Michael, I know you know this, but I can't stand people that whinge and whine, can I? I just, it really gets me going. <laughs> it does, it does, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that negative energy, isn't it? We don't want that negative energy. And I think it's really awful in practice when we've got somebody that is whinging and whining um, because that negative energy just spreads across the rest of the team. Mm. So I think what Michael and I have... Uh, before we get into that question, I think, you know, Michael and I should really just talk about HR because this first question and the second question, who should we choose as a TCO, relate to HR. Um, and there are a lot of things happening in practices. We provide support to our clients. We know when they're having tough times. And I think there is a general consensus that that is in the, very much in the air at the moment. So I think, Mike, let's shall we just discuss and give some top tips with HR in general to help practices? So I feel what happens, and I know Mike, we're always on the same page, but what happens, uh, listeners, is that you get yourselves into a right old pickle and practices tend to ignore HR issues until they become such a huge thing that they are so consuming and so negative and it is therefore a horrendous experience for the management and for the owners when actually if you were to really focus on having strong HR and spotting things earlier and dealing with things earlier you would be in a much better place consistently things wouldn't blow up to sort of levels like this would they Mike? No, and I think you've you've knocked it on the head really, and it is about trying to be really proactive 
and nip things in the bud early. Both of us have worked in practice and both of us know that there are days when you are working on the business and as a manager, you're working really hard on achieving something that the business needs to do. And that might be working on the compliance, it might be working on a marketing campaign, it might be working on a recruitment drive, um, it might be doing something um, that actually is, you know, HR related, but, you know, planning appraisals and, and, you know, working on vision plans and things like that, or finances. And you just look at it and you go, oh, it's such a small situation. I'm doing a big task here. Have I got the opportunity to ignore that and hope that it will resolve itself and go away? And I think a lot of people do that latter. They see something small and they think, oh, do you know what? It's just today, it won't happen tomorrow. It's one of those things, everybody will get over it um, and I won't need to actually do anything about it. And really, that is your red light warning. That's when actually you do need to be acting fast. And I really want you to think about the stroke advert. And, and, and it's, you know, their slogan is fast, isn't it? And actually, HR might as well be the stroke campaign because it is about acting fast. It's not about, you know, waiting for days on end and, and seeing where it is, because actually, you know, you do start to paralyze the practice because once your HR is out of control, then, you know, it starts to paralyze your ability to run a fantastic reception desk, to have nurses working alongside the dentist and the stress levels start to increase and manifest and just go up and up and up and up and up. And then it takes a long time for you to apply the treatment and to rehabilitate all of the team members to get them back on board. I think that sort of goes back to, you know, where our questions are coming from. And, you know, so don't ignore things. And this is not just a rule for the practice managers. This is a rule for everybody in the practice. That it doesn't matter whether you're a receptionist, a nurse, a dentist, a hygienist, a therapist, a specialist, a manager, a treatment coordinator, an apprentice nurse. Do not ignore something that you have seen when what you've seen, you just need to tell management and say, I've seen this. It doesn't feel right to me that that is the system that we're doing. It's not being done correctly or it's not being put away or whatever it may be or the telephone skills aren't being used or verbal skills or whatever it may be or that person has come in late and I've observed it or whatever the situation is because you managers can only act on evidence if we haven't got evidence then we're not able to have a suitable conversation so if dentists if you're having 10 or 15 chats to your nurses about things that you don't like or the reception team, or the reception team you're having a barrage from the nurses, or the reception team you're having a barrage from, you know, from reception to the dental nurses, or, or you know, the hygienists are not working on point, or whatever it may be. Don't allow yourselves just to get on with it. You need to talk about it, and you need to talk about it fast. And if you do that, then it's for management to act upon that evidence. What I don't mean here is it's not tittle tailing. I don't deal with tittle tailing, but I do deal with 
you're expected to do this and you're not doing that everybody knows what the system is it's been trained in the practice and therefore you should be doing it and if you're not then the evidence should come through to say you know Laura you should be doing this you're not I need to make you aware of it and if you don't actually follow the system moving forward then there are going to be you know further repercussions I want to confirm that you know you understand the system that you can do it that there's you know there's no welfare um, situations I need to be aware of that's stopping you from completing that system that you're not overwhelmed because there's too many systems to manage at the same time and that's why you've dropped the ball in with that with, with that particular system as long as I've done those checks you are then ready um, to have that suitable conversation and if you don't this is where managers and owners you lose your credibility really quickly because if you don't act fast then the team realize straight away that you're weak and they can start to control the show and once you get team members that can start to control the show your life in practice is going to be hell and there's no way of wrapping that up that is a situation and it is a volition of your own mistakes as managers so if you haven't got an HR background or there is major gaps in your HR and you don't feel confident you don't feel comfortable then you need to get yourselves on a course you need to get yourselves somebody um you know somebody to work alongside that can support you in HR matters and as a practice as owners and managers that is your responsibility to make sure that happens if HR scares you yeah then don't be a manager because lots of managers that we meet all you know HR is always going to be a challenge but if you if you can't deal with HR then for me don't bother being in management don't bother being in a leader position because that is the crux of being an effective leader absolutely and i think other things um that i'd just like to discuss right now are you know just something to pick up off there what, what you said michael being scared you know you shouldn't be scared or conversations you have with the team yes they're going to be uncomfortable but they've got to remain factual but you shouldn't be scared and one thing you shouldn't be scared of is being sued and I think so many practices are worried about oh but we'll be taken you know we're going to be done for unfair dismissal we're going to be taken to the cleaners by this person you know we've all heard stories and if you are doing HR correctly and if you're nipping it in the bud early if you're documenting everything then you're going to be in a really good position you're not going to get sued the other things that stop people delivering good hr are very emotional things and hr is really really factual and that's what you've got to remember when you're delivering hr when you're on that area it is a factual thing emotion does not come into it so when owners or managers start saying oh but they're a really nice person you know they are nice it's just this couple of incidents or oh i know they've got an attitude i know they're really negative and whingy and bring everyone down but they're so good clinically such a good nurse such a good hygienist such a good dentist you know they're all emotional things they're also excuses and then the other emotional one is oh but if they don't like what we're saying to them they might walk out and then we're going to be short staffed and that's going to be awful for all of our other team these are all really emotional thought processes that you're going through you're essentially creating excuses for you not to deal with hr when as michael said 
you have to, you've got to act fast because you will lose your credibility and the respect that the other team members have for you has to remain at a really high level for you to have effective leadership. So you want to make sure you're being really factual and stop thinking emotionally about all of these situations. Yes, you do need to check that people are okay, but that's when you're dealing with the person that has uh, the concern or is causing the concern rather but you've got to stop thinking emotionally about everybody else what you've got to deliver is fairness you really really have so if we talk about um, I'll go to the first question sorry which is about my team seem to be falling apart lateness being one of the first things yeah I think can I just step straight in with that question and say there is a difference between disciplinary and capability and yeah. a lot of practice again don't appreciate you know the awareness while we're giving some background information on HR that capability management is all about the systems in practice what people should be doing and that's when you should have a clear system of what is expected and then you should have trained every team member and they sign up sign off to say that they can do the systems that they're expected to do and they're detailed and they're logged and everybody follows the same system disciplinary is very much you know looking at contractual things and behavior that is moves into sort of gross misconduct so the the question that we've had in that laura will talk about now is definitely a disciplinary because it is about lateness and that's mm -hmm. a contractual thing yeah so i just want to make sure that you know for you as listeners that you understand that there's a clear difference between disciplinary and the process for that and capability which is a little which is more about coaching and confirming that you know you're doing it and the other thing about hr i want to say before we start answering the questions as well is that hr is not about managing managing people out of the practice you should have recruited people to be in your business because they are right for your business they're fit for purpose and you enjoy them um, being part of your brand so if somebody is not doing something correctly you this is about resolving the problem that they have whether it's through disciplinary or capability it should be a short sharp shock to go this is what you're doing a realization moment and that staff remember to go do you know what i'm so sorry that will never happen again i didn't realize it got to that level and that's all it should be and for most people i want to reassure you that early hr prevention um normally nips things in the bud and also if it doesn't um you probably will find that people start to hand in their resignation because they suddenly go i don't want to be managed so i'm off elsewhere and I think well, that's fine then, because you don't want to be part of the brand. I'll let you continue now. Sorry about that interruption. <laughs> that's right. And and that is true. You will have people who don't, you know, as team members who would think, oh, I can't get away with much here. I'm off to find somewhere else where I can walk all over people. Because unfortunately, we do have people like that in our businesses. So if you're really strong and you act fast, life's great. So if someone's late to the practice, what you don't do is just, you know, make a note of it and keep an eye on it. This is what I uh, sometimes come across, that practices will present Michael and I with a list of, right, these are all the times this person's been late, either arriving for work uh, or after lunch or all these types of things. And they've got this whole list. And it's like, well, why haven't you done something about it? That first moment that someone is late, you have to deal with it. You need to have a communication about it. It has to be on their record. 
And if they are late again, then you move forward with your disciplinary processes. Whinging's an interesting one, though, isn't it? People that are whinging and bringing the team down, people that are negative. I think, actually, Michael, that's quite an area that people struggle with, don't you think? People always say to us, oh, yeah, but how do you deal with negative staff members? How do you deal with whingy people? We get that quite a lot as well. We do. And uh, this is where the, the team need to come together and almost not give that person an influence or feel like they're being listened to. I think what people, some people do is actually listen to these people and, you know, it, it sort of encourages them to do it even more. And actually, mm -hmm. the best thing you can do is go, um, you've obviously got an opinion. I don't share the same opinion as you, so I'm now going to leave. Thank you. And you just yeah. walk away. And yeah. that's the problem. And that is a really hard thing to do as well. But actually, you know, sometimes you don't agree with people. You, you, you have to work alongside them. And I'm not saying fall out. But, you know, sometimes, it, you know, and I've done it in my life. I'm sure you've done it in yours as well, Laura. That you just go, do you know what? Your opinions don't match mine. And therefore, we, we don't need to have any further communication with each other. And that's yeah. just the way it is. Because we don't match. Our opinions don't match. And I don't agree with you. Exactly. And I can tell you at my gym that I go to there, I don't know, I don't really understand the logistics of it, but there's the desk when you arrive and then over to the other side um, as you're walking round the sort of barriers that you get in to go towards a change room, there's this other desk. And every time I go to the gym, you know, every day there are people whinging at either one of these desks. And I've started to clock now because I'm quite nosy. You know, is it always the same people? So what I have spotted now is it's two of the same people who both actually are from different desks. Um, but what do they do? They're sort of infecting everybody, aren't they? With their whinging, with their moaning. Now, I go to the gym first. Well, not first thing in the morning. That would be great. But as early as I can. So I'm rocking up around 8, 8.15. And what's happening in that business that day? Everybody must be on a real downer because they're all involved, aren't they? They're all listening. They're all involved in the whinging. But for me as a customer, and you've got to think about your patients in these type of environments as well. For me as a customer, I can't stand it. I mean, I've just had the moment, really. I've just had my light bulb moment. I need to put my headphones on, don't I, before I arrive, not when I get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just, it's just awful. So, you really do have to nip things in the bud. So in answer to this person's question, how do I bring my team back on board to my vision? This isn't about your vision. This is about HR. This is about disciplinary. And leadership is, you know, your vision and leadership, they go together. But so does HR and leadership. They go together as well. So only if you have a team that respects you and understand what they're responsible for, uh, and what they're expected to do and how they're expected to behave, can you get them on board with your vision in the first place? So I hope that does help this person, this practice, and I'd really just like to reiterate what Michael said, is you do need a company to work with. There are amazing companies that can support you, but they okay. get dealt with the big stuff, don't they? They're, they're not usually yeah, getting they're yeah, not usually being like, oh, this that person was late today. How do I handle it? They're getting right. This patient, uh, this person's been late ten times this month. 
um, blah, blah, blah. You know, then you need to contact them early. They're not there for emergencies. They're there to support you day to day. That's what I'd be using the HR company for. Yeah, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It goes back to, you know, uh, our analogy really with, you know, fast. You know, you've got to act fast. And that's really important. Two other things which I think is really positive is you have the opportunity to create the right atmosphere, you know, uh, on a day by day basis. And, you know, those practices that do morning huddles and they wake the whole team up and they've got this energy around them is really good. I think managers, you need to go round and have a, you know, almost be a bit of a maitre d' like, you know, in the hotels. That's what I used to do and make sure that everybody's okay and that there's good energy going on in the practice. That's really important as well. And, you know, I'm, I love another saying, which is kill people with kindness. Oh, it's um, my favourite, isn't it? Oh, it's so, it just so works. And it's not just for the patients. It's actually particular as well. If you yeah. get the point where actually their negativity just has no effect whatsoever and you'll just go oh that's great oh I'm glad that you're having such a rubbish day no problem okay bye and you're just sort of like I'm, I'm not interested because you're whinging and you're not paying attention to that whinge then you, you do you are sort of deflating their bubble it might not be immediate and they might actually try to you know fill their balloon up a little bit more and put some more energy into it I'm obviously not being negative enough you know what I mean but actually <laughs> you do it uh, the interesting it is and and actually um I, I know I'm an actor as well but uh, when I'm doing acting pieces and something like that sometimes you play characters where they are being ignored and actually I, I'm playing a, a really nasty character at the moment uh Anna's in Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, Judas is you know going to the priest and is you know and he's talking to him and he's losing his mind and the priests are just ignoring him yeah they're not interested they just want to know their answer they just want to get their answer out of him but because we're ignoring him um the guy that's playing judas dan he, he's having to work so hard because we're not listening yeah and you know and that's it if you cut people off and you're not listening um i mean it can work the other way can't it when somebody you when you want somebody to listen and they're ignoring you actually how does that make you feel irritated and it's the same thing you'll start to get under their skin and that's the important thing isn't it actually yeah. not allowing them um to be be the agenda really yeah. i was saying this to a practice manager the other day i said it doesn't matter how annoyed you are <laughs> you know with the team with a situation that's happened just walk around and just look really happy and just kill everyone with kindness because it's great right we haven't got long left so let's move on to this next question we want to implement the tco role but are unsure of who to choose in our practice can you advise now there are lots of references on our website to the type of person that is good as a treatment coordinator but what this practice is potentially doing here is going down a route that can lead to disaster because you cannot handpick staff members for jobs and I would say in the last year or so the practices that we've been into that are having the biggest concerns with staff in general the reason they're having those concerns is because they've handpicked people for different jobs they're trying to motivate team members. They're trying to make them feel good. They're trying to give them some progression, trying to support them. Great, but you can't hand pick people. So what we always recommend that our clients do is create an internal advertisement, an internal recruitment. It goes up in the staff room. It goes up explaining what you're recruiting for, what the job role is, 
all of the information that you'd put externally, you know, the job description as a separate handout for someone to pull out and, and take away with them, and a really simple process for you know your current employees to apply. So three reasons why we should consider you for this job. That can be their application. They don't need to update their CV and spend hours doing it really. You know, make it nice and easy. You should then have people apply, you interview them, and then you're going to choose the right person for the role from the interviews. Because handpicking people and slotting them into places is just a recipe for disaster, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And, you know, we're seeing practices do this a lot. The treatment coordination role, you know, it's one of those roles where people do have people in mind, as you say, and are just lurching out. And it really, it, the, the funny thing about it is it, it, it really goes back to sometimes the whingers as well. They're the first person to say, um, oh, well, I, I wasn't selected. Oh, no, I wasn't part of it. I wanted to do the job. And actually, they don't. They don't want to do it. And when you actually do a formalised recruitment process for the role and you say this is what is involved and we're going to do an hour's interview about the treatment coordination role in practice, interestingly, they don't apply. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those, isn't it? You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But yeah. you're right. You've got to do it correctly from an HR point of view. But again, we want to reassure you that the people are right, that are right for these roles will come forward. Yeah. yeah they will interview and they will have the passion for doing the role and understand you know the training route that they need to go on and 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 what they what you know what they need to do and you will ultimately get the best person yeah and i've got another piece of advice which i i'm we're, we're doing a lot of practices now with uh, selecting people into roles you can do secondment and secondment is a really good thing to be doing where you second somebody into a role for six months and therefore that person can have a, a go at a role within practice and you can both come together at the end of that six months and go does this work for both parties and if it doesn't then you just they just go back to the role that they had in practice it's not an embarrassment it's not a situation and then you can say to the team um, we're going to put this person on a secondment for six months to do this role we're just going to try it out in practice and that can be for any role senior nurse leader a practice manager that's on maternity leave anything like that people can be seconded yeah into them and I think that's a really good idea because you set a marker of time and then you have an opportunity to go what's next and that can become part of your recruitment process um, and it's another way of making sure that you have got the right person uh, for the job and that the role is right for your practice because some people put roles in don't they Laura and it's like well that's just not the right role like exactly. it doesn't work you know yeah. um, because again I think we are in that world now where you know i've got to have a business leader i've got to have a senior nurse i've got to have a clinical coordinator i've got to have you know the you know there's so many roles going on and actually it's about bespoking what's right for your business and it's about working out where the skills are and what roles will complement you know the the team that you've got now or you know what do we need to bring into the practice to complement what's already existing I like hr don't i <laughs> love a bit of HR don't we Michael yeah, it's a good job I do isn't it really <laughs> right let's answer this last question we've got a few minutes left what budget should we have for marketing six percent seems huge and works out to 32 grand a year I'm very anti AdWords 
and currently spend around £15,000 a year on marketing. So, okay, so this is a finance question. What should you be spending on marketing? Well, yes, 6 to 7% is the recommended amount. But I think before you, um, if anyone suddenly decides to start upping their marketing spend or dropping their marketing spend just by hearing that one comment, please don't. Because there are so many things that you need to look at in your business. And the first thing that you have to answer is, is your marketing currently working for you or not? Because I would say to this practice, you're spending 15 grand a year, so probably about 3.5% on your uh, of your turnover on your marketing. If it's working for you, then you don't need to change that, do you? Why change it? Why double your investment if it's working? But how do you know if it's working? Well, that goes back to making sure that you are tracking all of your new patients that are coming through, how have they heard of the practice? How much return on investment has that? Uh, how much does that inquiry cost you? What's your return in, on investment? I'd be looking at the type of patients it's attracting to you. Are they the right type of patient that you're after? Or are they new patient emergencies that you're getting that have a low conversion rate, therefore a low average new patient spend, therefore a low hourly rate income for the dentist providing the treatment what actually is sitting in the practice are you getting what you want from your marketing so i think you need to always go back a stage and say well what do we want what should we be marketing for who do we want what do our patients look like what do we want their average spend to be what do we want our conversion rates to be and then from there you can look and go well, actually, then we do need to up our marketing budget or great news. It's working. Brilliant. Let's leave it at it as it is. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to take that step back and you've got to analyze. Please just don't throw money out for any old reason. And I love what this person said here. I'm anti AdWords. Well, so are we. I can't stand AdWords. What a waste of money. Please don't do them because they just generate so many, you know, clicks, you know, the the. The marketing companies, bless them, will say, oh, it's really working, it's generating loads of clicks, but it doesn't generate the right people. So it's really about going back to the beginning, isn't it, and analysing your figures and, you know, multiple spreadsheets here, eh, Michael? <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and, I, and you've answered that question so brilliantly, I don't want to add too much more. But what I would say is, is that it's really important that whatever you invest in marketing, that the front desk are able to convert what is coming through so whether that is calls emails walk-ins online you know chatting on facebook or online chat or whatever it may be whatever um you know instagram whatever it may be at the moment because there's various different ways that the desk are prepared they are trained and they will maximize the investment that you're putting into marketing there is no point doing any marketing whatsoever if you haven't got the front desk team to convert we go on a conversion, which we won't, but that is really, really important because I don't want you investing lots of money and then actually it not being converted. And then, you know, we do hear a lot of practices that also say to us, we spend a lot of money on marketing. But what happens? What happens is the patients phone up. They don't get a delightful experience. They don't get moved into an appointment or 
you know, there are other blockages, you know, that the first availability for a new patient opportunity is three, four, five, six weeks ahead. You've got to make sure that everything is in line to to maximise the investment that you're making. Um, And I'm sure, you know, on different uh, podcasts that we've done, you know, there's loads of information that we've shared in the past to be able to support you in that area. Absolutely. Very good points there, Michael. Well, that's it from us this month for this month's podcast. Thank you ever so much for listening, for sending in your questions and for sharing. And we'll be back next month. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe so you can be notified of our next episode.